This episode is brought to you by Kamlan. Kamlan is a post-apocalyptic urban fantasy podcast inspired by folklore and Arthurian legends. It's written and directed by Ella Watts, who you may know from her work from Doctor Who Redacted and Eliza, A Robot Story, and produced by Amber Devereaux at Tin Can Audio. Y'all, this is one of my favorite new podcasts. I am so excited for you to hear it. It's tightly written with mythic weight and personal stakes and just absolutely gorgeous sound design. Go subscribe to Kamlan, that's C-A-M-L-A-A-N, wherever you're listening to this, and stay tuned at the end of the episode for a trailer for the show. Hi there, this is Jeffrey, executive producer of Unwell. Did you know that we have Unwell merch? You can find it on our website at unwellpodcast.com. We have merch from the 75th annual Mount Absalom Celery Festival with a beautiful and slightly creepy illustration of a celeriac root. There are coffee mugs with Abby's rules about small talk in the morning. And there's a couple of cool interpretations of our show art if you want to rep Unwell in the meat space. We are super proud of all this merch, and we hope you'll like them too. Head to our website at unwellpodcast.com to check them out. Hello, listener. Welcome. This is executive producer Eleanor Hyde, and I've gathered a group of our sound design team together to talk about Unwell, how we make it, how we feel about it. So uh, before we get too deep in, let's do a quick around the virtual table of introductions. Hello, sound design team. Um, Can you share your name and your pronouns and then we'll dive in. My name is Jeffrey Knowles Gardner and my pronouns are they, them. Uh, I am Alexander Danner, he, him. I'm Eli Hamada-McLevine, he and him. Awesome. So we've gathered some questions from listeners and I've got some of my questions that I want to ask y'all too. Uh, but I want to start out with a collection of questions that are in the category I'm going to call, how do you make it sound like that? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ask like a couple of, I have two of them I want to ask and then let you guys talk about it kind of in a broader way. So Kelsey asked a really lovely, like really great specific question. Um, how do you make snow crunching sounds when characters walk in the snow? And did you actually go walk in the snow with a microphone? (laughs) So I, for me, I use a combination of different tools to make good footsteps. Um, I, and I think the other designers also use various um, uh, Foley instruments. Mm -hmm. So uh, these are, these are virtual instruments that you put into a DAW, a digital audio workstation and then play with a MIDI controller. In my case, I've got a just small little keyboard and there are keys for each kind of footstep. Alexander just held up to the video a literal tiny keyboard. <laughs> like with yeah. like with little black and white keys. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think I yeah, we we've we've all got little keyboards roughly the size of like a melodica. <laughs> um which, you know, is a super relatable reference. Thanks, Jeffrey. Uh Hey, I had one as a kid. Yeah. I've got one on my wall. Hey. I'm banned from playing it. <laughs> um 
And then through that, you're able to set, you know, the surface you're walking on and what kind of shoes you're walking with and the, you know, sometimes the size of the person and other parameters like that, you know, whether they're carrying a backpack, what they're wearing, etc. Yeah, it's life changing for a designer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Um, I will say that for snow, I actually often do use recordings out of a library uh just because snow is one of those really specific things and um honestly i i guess the only time i've had to design snow footsteps in unwell is the wes post episode scenes in season three uh and for those i do think i used uh sounds from a library yeah, I, I use the Edward Ultimate Suite. I don't know if everyone's using the same one. Yep. But um, yeah, even when they added uh, a whole extra library of outdoor footsteps, the one thing they didn't include was snow. It's such a weird oversight. I, get, I think it's hard to fake in the studio because it'll just melt on you. Yeah. They're not using studio recordings for that, though. They do actual on-location on recordings. Oh, shoot. Okay. Yeah. No, it's wild. They do real Foley for the, you know, they go out until, like, they, they did desert recordings, but they've never done snow. And so, yeah, that's the, the one thing that I still go to a library for. Yeah. Same. Like, it is one of the, uh, the old-time radio classics. Like, you would have a box of cornstarch and go... Yeah. With it. Mm-hmm. So Thea asked, do you use a sound library for all of the nature sounds or do you record them yourselves? And if you do that kind of recording yourselves, how difficult is that? Um, there's a lot of nature sounds in this show. Like, yeah, that's true. We got a lot of birds. We got a lot of dogs. Like, like how when that stuff shows up in a script, how do you approach it? I, I just use libraries for nature sounds. That's not something I have any means to do original Foley of. Um, and, th- and then there's also the whole thing of like, I know there are people who listen to shows and they're like, that bird isn't native to Ohio. I am I am super aware of those sorts of things. And I'm trying to use like s- central U.S. and, and like Ontario um, where I am uh, sounds. Sometimes I have made an effort there and sometimes I haven't. Um, Eli, wasn't there wasn't there an episode where I thought it was you that gave the note of like you can't put that bird in here because it doesn't live in Ohio? Was that you? Uh, was that was that the 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 post credit scene with Wes talking to birds? Yeah, probably. Oh, I think I think it was it was also that I was using I was like this is a bird call, and you're like that's actually a bird like making a weird sound with its wings. So <laughs> yeah, I remember like looking up actual maps, like range maps of the species on Wikipedia and, and uh, going, Oh man, I don't know if this bird would be in, in Ohio, but at the same time, it was just too cool and weird sounding not to use. And there were snipes. Yes. Which mm-hmm. I remember because it's Wes's snipes. Ah, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when I was looking for owls, I tried to find owls that could feasibly be there because owls are a bit more distinct even to me than most birds are. Not that I, I have a particular sense of birds. <laughs> um, Eli, will you talk about your wolves? Oh, yeah. Th- there, there are a couple of things, places where I've, I've used my own field recordings and they're, they're taken with uh, like a handheld. You can get very good recordings with like a standard stereo recorder from zoom or, or Tascam. but yeah the the wolves 
not all the wolves, but many of the wolf howls are from a sanctuary here in Ontario um, that I recorded as, as part of a someone's environmental studies uh, project that they'd done as a video. That's very cool. That's fun. It's there's there's such great recordings. I really love using them. Although I will say there's there is a very and I feel like this is an inside uh, sound designer baseball thing a little bit. But um, in a in a couple of those recordings, there is a um, what is it like a sixteen thousand hertz wine? Oh yeah, there's a wine that. I won't hear it because like years of watching tube TVs deafened me to that range. <laughs> yeah. Well, that happens naturally as you get older too. Our, our range of, of hearing declines and we lose a lot of the higher frequencies. Yeah. I, I had that experience. I was on the subway with some of my students and they started complaining about the, the obnoxious high-pitched wine that was driving them. A- and I'm like, I don't hear anything. Huh. And you pull it up on a spectrogram and it's really easy to see. And But yeah. none of us have that range of hearing anymore. And so <laughs> as I age, uh, I lean more and more on, on spectrograms. They save my life on a regular basis. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's that's terrible up there. <laughs> someone, someone in their 20s is going to hear that loud and clear. Yeah. So I want to ask you all, because um, I know that you sometimes do build sound effects either from Foley or composite pieces that you mash together to sound like something different. What's your favorite specific sound moment or sound effect that you've created for the show? Hmm. Hard to pick one. Especially with the, how many just weird, bizarre things you keep throwing at me to pick one at this point. <laughs> That's true. Oh, boy. Alexander made the mistake of being like, oh, this weird Jess Buha script, uh, season one, episode 11, uh, was really fun. And we're like, yes. Great. We'll give you more of them. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love doing them. I, I love working with Jess's scripts. The, the the challenges she comes up with, though, I, I have to give it to Bilal. He made this last one real interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's, he explores spaces in interesting ways. Like, his was, like, he did a, a Spaceman in the Walls where Chester and, and Rudy are, are lost in inside Fenwood. Yeah. yeah. But honestly, even when he uses a single location, the, the episode I designed that was just Wes and Nora in the observatory. Mm. Um, first off, Bilal, it, it's very easy to feel when working with stuff that he has a, a stage background. Like, it's very clear in even the structure of his dialogue. Yeah. Um, and there's this feel to the the way a scene flows that's so much about the subtle blocking of how actors would be moving on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even in that one, as as simple as it was... Just the 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 characters moving closer together and apart and and those details, that was one where like the footsteps were absolutely critical to the entire feel of the moment. And it was really interesting to work with that in a very different way than than the big set piece kind of of designs I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, to answer your question, uh, I think um, for me, the the my favorite thing I've built for this show might be um in season two episode seven which is abby gets a job at the diner at hunters um (laughs) i built these montages for kind of each new day where it was like very quickly like alarm morning routine driving etc and those were really fun to play with I have to say, like, if thinking about, like, what was the most 
distinctly interesting by the end was probably the first time the characters go down the hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. You did some really cool stuff there. Oh, it was so much fun. And and there's so much build up to it too, like the whole like getting ready with the climbing gear. And then um, playing with the timing of when I have the point of audition up with the characters outside the hole, but there's echoes in the hole. And so you can hear the voice coming from the walkie talkie, but also coming up from the hole mm-hmm. and, and timing that out. And I did the timing backwards there, which I, I thought was just a, <laughs> a, a fun, creepy touch. I love that so much. <laughs> and you won't notice it unless you think about it that. The radio sound should arrive first. Yes. Can can you talk a little bit about, um, be more specific about what you mean by that? So because we have the character who's in the hole speaking into a walkie-talkie, the people above should hear her voice through the walkie-talkie first, and then the echo should arrive. Oh, sure. and And I have it the other way around, which means there's a weird delay on radio signals. Huh. I had never noticed that. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and partly it just sounded clearer to me, like it started with just a clarity uh, point, because otherwise you had the slightly garbled voice covering the clear voice rather than the other way around where the garbled voice ends first. Mm. But it still just had a, a cool effect besides that. Neat. Eli, do you have an example you want to share? I think it has to be the tonnelier organ in um, uh, 310 in, in The Sound of Her Voice, mm. where, where oh. <laughs> Chester and Lulu have this mysterious... Delphic artifact in their uh, their closet, and they're they're crammed in there with Rudy. So I've got I've got this really claustrophobic reverb on them. I've spent like episodes trying to get all these home recorded voices to not sound like they're in a closet. And I was like, all right, I'm just gonna pile all this back on, make them sound like they're in this <laughs> tiny space, and then brilliant. And then I got to like I I I was so happy to get that episode because I love building like musical. The devices mm-hmm. um so that's like a, a a sampled instrument that i built in contact from uh, another instrument plugin plus like me blowing through a, a tin whistle slowed down and there's steam underneath that uh everything is is slightly off pitch like it the pitch wavers as it would with an actual steam powered thing uh that it was just so much fun to do and and besides which there's all these notations in the script for what all these notes are and i won't <laughs> i'm not i don't think i'm allowed to say what, what... <laughs> oh there's so many things we had to censor in that script <laughs> yeah there's there's black marks all over that script um but yeah we've now got like a big grid of what each of these notes is supposed to mean <laughs> yeah Working with music uh, in that way is still one of the things that really intimidates me. I, I haven't done very much of it at all, and I don't have any musical background, but I did have to do it for one of your episodes. <laughs> and again, it was the one um, uh, one of Jess's scripts where they're down in the sewers, and we have that that musicality building out of just the sounds of, of everything around them. And I, and I did end up using FL Studios to kind of make a, a, a rhythm instrument out of just drops of water. Cool. It's, you know, um, it's one of those really hard things. And, and I think like for the um, the bonus episode set in the 1700s, um, it also involved, you know, a, a, a tea kettle making pitched sounds. And the first time I took a pass at it, it really didn't work in part because I feel like retuning often, retuning to specific notes often takes you into a very artificial 
sounding place. And every time I worked on it, it was just like, ah, this just doesn't, this, this feels artificial. And thankfully, Eli stepped in and saved me and built some you know, really beautiful sounds for that. Uh, he kind of played that character in the in the in the performance um, it is really a character yeah and 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 like i mean in terms of how i edited it i i have a a dialogue track for the tea kettle in that episode yeah yeah i thought i thought of one more little thing that i'm yeah <laughs> that i loved what which is um marcia didn't have a kazoo to play in um <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the truth teller and so it's just going and I managed to fake it with <laughs> plugins. Uh, it's a wave shaper that mimics a membrane, I guess, kind of zapping back and forth inside a kazoo, and then an impulse response, like a, a convolution reverb on that to simulate it. Like, like it's meant to be a small speaker, but it also works for a kazoo. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it sounded better than when she finally found a real kazoo and, and recorded it. That's oh. hilarious. I, I, was, I was a little proud of that. Do you know what I did try to build? I tried to build the celery flute from episode 11. Oh my God, I remember that. I remember you texting and being like, this doesn't work at all. This does not work at all. (laughs) No, I tried. I followed the instructions. Um, And so there I did end up, for some reason, I have an ocarina in my drawer. Oh, cool. Like you do. Like I do. Uh, And so I just pulled that out and and recorded some, you know, I think she's just playing like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, you know, the the height of my musical abilities. That's hilarious. Um, And that stood in for the celery flute. But I tried to build the real thing. The peanut butter, it was just made a mess. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. All right, I'm going to take us to a different set of questions. Um, We had a couple of people ask very similar questions that I would put in the category of like, how and why does this place sound like this? Um, (laughs) But both Michael and uh, Yami Kayu, whose name I'm probably pronouncing wrong, so I apologize. uh, They both asked about how you develop specific soundscapes for a place. Um, and both of them are kind of referencing Fenwood in this question, but like, how do you decide what the house or a place is going to sound like so that it doesn't just sound like a bunch of old creaking floorboards? Like, what is the, I I think I kind of want to ask you all to talk about like the process of both like the specifics of like, this is an old house, so it's going to creak like an old house, but also like the emotional, like how do you build that bigger sense of like what a place is supposed to sound like in a grand way, not just in the specifics of like uh, the walls are here and the floor sounds like this. Okay. Before we get into the discussion of how that's made, I just want to acknowledge that all of that is provided to me. And this is like one of, and and this is genuinely like on a note of just professionalism and like being in a well-run production there, there's an audio Bible. Like there is a folder with these things sound like this. You don't have to recreate it. We know what the house sounds like. It's going to be consistent. And that was all provided up front. Yeah. Ryan Ryan uh, did this video walkthrough. I think you folks had um, like our plans drawn up, like an architect drew up some plans of Fenwood Apps. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan Sheely was our lead sound designer on seasons one and two a role that Eli has now taken over. Um, yeah. And so you're referencing that, that video and you're right. We had somebody draw floor plans for the house and then Ryan created a video 
that there's like a little dot that moves through rooms on the floor plan. And then you hear Ryan talk through like, I'm now standing in the living room. The living room sounds like this because there's a rug on the floor and there's a couch over here and there's a record player in the corner. And the the other sound you hear in the background is a a ceiling fan. And like he really did the vast majority of what I would consider like the foundational work around like um, what the house sounds like and how different rooms are differentiated from each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, and... There, there are a few really important things about that. Uh, so first of all, um, the the plans were drawn by uh, Dan Tincher, who also did a lot of the art and and creation of the visual aesthetic of Our Fair City, uh, Heartlife's earlier show. Uh, a big thing that we talked about as we developed Unwell was wanting the house to feel like a real place. Mm-hmm. And that meant being enormously specific about like, you know, what rooms connect to each other, what each room sounds like. We, we, I think we have gotten it to a place where like, we can drop you into the, the environment of a room and you can know where you are um, because each one sounds differently. Each has a couple, you know, you hear that cat clock and you're like, oh, I'm in the kitchen. Okay, great. Yeah. And the, and the door, the swinging door. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's some choices that got made around like, um, I'm remembering, right. Like all of the upstairs hallways are carpeted, but the rooms aren't. And so like when you move from one space to another, it, there's a subtle difference in how the spaces sound and like, I don't know. It's like, I think those things are really subtle, but important in the way that they cue your brain that you've moved from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And it means that when um, when when something goes weird in the house, when a room is not the right size, <laughs> um, the listener knows that it's on purpose and that like something is weird, not someone like didn't design it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really important part of selling the realism of the supernatural in in the show. I also tend to keep a certain consistency in the arrangement of doors in that. And, and of course, there, there I can think of places where I, I violated what I'm about to say, but I pretty much always put doors to the outside on the left and doors deeper in on the right. Same. Hmm. <laughs> but where that varies is when they've gone down. So like when they go down the observatory steps into the basement, they're coming down on the right because they went through a door on the right. They're arriving through a door on, on the right. Um, and I did the same thing in the sewers. It, it, excuse me, the storm drains. <laughs> yeah, I've done, I've done similar stuff on the observatory. And uh, the, the other one I can think of is uh, Marisol's shop. That was drawing on like my memories of a real used record shop in Toronto that, that my mom and I used to go to. And it, like it had like big timber floors that creaked and, you know, the big bin wooden bins full of records and building that was really fun. All right. I want to um, end us on a couple of um, sort of silly questions in the context of like I you all make the show, but also like I know that you love the story and whatnot. Um, so I'm curious. uh Jeffrey, I feel like you get to talk about this in other places. This is mostly aimed at Alexander and Eli. Uh, do you have any favorite ships in the show? <laughs> like, which characters do you secretly wish would get together? I, I'm the worst person to ask for this. I almost never ship anyone in any show, and and I'm usually rooting for people to not get together at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I I don't like when main cast characters have have 
romantic subplots. I like everyone to be dating secondary characters if they're going to date. Interesting. Oh, that's a fair answer. Yeah. I, I was into to Marisol and, and Lily from the start, but um, lately the the interaction between Abby and Nora, I don't know if it's if it's going to be a relationship relationship or they are just best science buds that like to grump <laughs> about their respective uh, realms. Uh, but they have such a, a sort of simpatico vibe now. Yeah. And here's the thing. They're both sound designers. Interesting. <laughs> they, 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 Nora's always playing with the echoes in the observatory, and uh-huh. Abby is doing wild shit mm-hmm. from since since high school. They've been doing these like study aid things. I want a mixtape of all of Abby's study notes now. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and then I want to ask you, this was a question that came from our listener, Shelby. Um, if you had to explore the Fenwood house basement with one character, who would you choose? Huh. <laughs> I mean, I, I heard the, I heard what the writers have to say, and I agree with some of them. You, you've been influenced. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some of them sort of convinced me on the West front. Like, like he would be a very practical and sort of uplifting. That was my instinct. <laughs> Person to be with. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think my answer is actually Spikes. Mm, <laughs> I, yeah, Spikes is a really solid call. Yeah, yeah. because I feel like um, partly because I'm like, I want to know what happened, <laughs> and we don't have we don't see that in the story, and so I'm like. I want to know what version of the basement Spikes got to see. And like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. she came out okay on the other end. It couldn't be that bad, right? Like, yeah, I think that's my choice. (laughs) I'm just picturing running around with her phone out the whole time, like getting everything. Oh, yeah. This is awesome. Um, Here's here's a controversial, um, and I'm not even sure that I would would back this, but um, Hazel. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Interesting. And and part of that is that... um, so in the development of Unwell, we had a like weekend where we, you know, locked ourselves in Eleanor's living room, uh, the writers and Eleanor and I, and we just covered it with post-it notes. And um, uh, the I feel like the post-it note that led most directly to Hazel or that I still think of when I think of Hazel, is that one of them was, uh, we want a librarian who boxes. <laughs> and so I still have this, like, this image of Hazel in my mind that I don't know if it's true or canon, but that, like, Hazel can fight. <laughs> and I feel like in in a situation like that, uh, you know, I don't necessarily believe in ghosts or whatever, but, like, having that security of, like, this person can help keep me safe is a good one. Yeah. I, I, I can see the practicality there, but she is also the only character in the show that I wouldn't trust to want me to survive. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I think I'd have trouble turning my back on Hazel. Yeah. yeah. yeah like, like even Chester. I actually have a soft spot for Chester. Mm. We all do. We all oh, good. I'm glad <laughs> that's not just me because I feel for him. He is in such a weird position, stuck between two factions, and his intentions seem genuinely good. Mm. And yeah, I think you know he would care whether he'd be helpful or not is another question. <laughs> he, but he'd at least want us both to get through it. Like the 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 
obvious kindness he shows Rudy all the time. Yeah. Above and beyond anything Rudy has done to deserve it from him especially <laughs> is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think the person I'd want to do it least with is Dot. Yeah. Oh, really? Because I feel like I feel like Dot is gonna be jumping out around corners oh, and like oh, swinging <laughs> mad mannequin heads at you and like. Yeah. I love Dot, but no, I don't. She's not who I want in a dangerous situation with me. She's too reckless. Oh, maybe. I, I, she reminds me of of some beloved relative. So. I kind of almost want to. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I mean, there's also Lily's, uh, she knows how to do everything. That's true. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. I would feel very safe with Lily. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I'm freaking out, she'll grab me by the shirt and go, no, no, we're going, we're going, come on, up the stairs. <laughs> Time to improvise a climbing harness. Here we go. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, Lily. <laughs> um. You do know that was a sex joke, right? Yeah, of course I do. Okay, yeah. just making sure. <laughs> of course just I do. Sure. But she also knew how to use it for a climbing harness. Yes, she like, did. Like the fact that she yeah, could like, uh-huh. all, you know, tie those abilities together. Excuse me. Very impressive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you so much, Alexander, Jeffrey, Eli. This is really fun. It's really fun for me to talk to you about your process and hear kind of how you make things. Always love that. Um, But I think let's wrap it up for today. So listener, thank you for your patience while we've been on our mid-season break. We will be back with season four, episode seven in two weeks on Wednesday, July 6th. And then the rest of season four will proceed on our regular schedule of every other Wednesday until the season finale in early September. And I promise there is so much happening in this second half of the season. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Uh, It's very exciting. I'm scared. (laughs) Are you a little scared, Elon? (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. And if you've enjoyed this and you want more behind the scenes content in this sort of style, I encourage you to check out our Patreon. For $3 a month, you can get access to all of our annotated scripts where the writers, sound designers, and actors share their thoughts about the show right like in line with the script. It's really fun. They're a good time. You can find all of that via our website, unwellpodcast.com. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for talking to me today, guys. This was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, we'll be back in Mount Absalom really soon. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Please hold. Your call is very important to us, and we will get to it as quickly as we can. The cataclysm is frightening for everyone. Remember, in times like these, we need to stick together more than ever. If you need emergency assistance, please call 999. Your position in the queue is 333. Hello, you've reached the Cataclysm Casualties Hotline. Can I take your name and date of birth? Peretti Green. Morgan Jones. Hugh Jun Liu. Gwen. 
Turner. Just call me Di. Okay, and who are you calling for today? My mum. Shan Thomas. She was in Aberystwyth. Matthew and Louise Turner. Uh, in Kirkwall, on Orkney? My father, Kai Liu. Ben. Ben Jones. I, I saw something on the news about a sea serpent. He's 15 years old. Anna and Sophie Green in Portsmouth. What's happening in Kowloon? Listen, is this real? I've been seeing news reports about dragons. Well, let me look that up for you. Where are you calling from today? Bristol. 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 Leicester. I'm so sorry. It looks like we haven't got anyone listed under that name on the database. This means they haven't been listed as a fatality. Call back tomorrow, and if you haven't heard anything from us or your loved one in three days, try the online form. I know this is scary, but it's okay. We're going to get through this. Together. Kambla, a post-apocalyptic audio drama by Ella Watts. Inspired by folklore and Arthurian legends. Coming January 2024. Produced by Tin Can Audio.